Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Greg Russo. Greg is the screenwriter of the new Mortal Kombat film, which just opened on Friday the 23rd, as well as the upcoming films Saints Row, Space Invaders, Death Note 2. Mortal Kombat recently broke the record for most Red Band trailer views in a week, dethroning Deadpool. Greg, very exciting that you've got this film that just came out. How are you feeling about it? How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me uh, on to talk about process and Mortal Kombat. I'm pumped. I'm excited for people to go out and see this movie. It's a blast. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? Tell us where you're based. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles in a little town called Atwater Village. Have you always been there? I have not. I've lived in Los Angeles for about 12 years. And prior to that, I lived in Hoboken, New Jersey. Right now, obviously, things have changed over the past year or two. Quarantine's been going on. Writers, by nature, are an isolated group. For you, have you been affected by quarantine? I don't know how you cannot be affected by quarantine. I think we've all been affected by this lockdown. You know, as writers, we're built to survive isolation because that's how we have to, how we have to do our work. We have to be alone most of the time. And I thought that would give me an advantage. But by the end of this, as this thing has continued to you know, extend and drag on, I realized that I missed those little breaks that I used to get as a writer. I miss going out. I miss seeing friends. I miss going to the movies. And, and so without those breaks, yeah, that, that isolation begins to compound. And, you know, I'm thankful and I'm grateful that as a writer, we can still do our job. And there's a lot of people that are struggling to do their work. And so for that, I, you know, I have nothing to complain about. Love that. For those writers who are listening, we've been asking every writer who's on the show this question ever since the pandemic. Do you have words of wisdom for those writers who have been struggling during these time, who maybe are looking for inspiration, struggling with writer's block? Yeah, I would say, you know, as much as you can use writing to your advantage in a sense that, you know, one of the most powerful tools we have as writers is we have profound imaginations. And those imaginations can take us away from things in the world that we may or may not have the strength to face. And sometimes, you know, when I get into a situation or I feel a certain way or I get, you know, depressed about my writing or I I need a break from it, I actually find going into the writing helps me. So sometimes it's less about pushing away from the writing in those moments and more about trying to embrace it as much as you can. I love that. Before we get into process and talk about Mortal Kombat, which I'm excited to do, Let's start from the beginning. I would love to know, did you always want to be a screenwriter? How did you get into this crazy business? Walk us through your career trajectory to this point. I was a movie kid when I was young. You know, I grew up in a small town. You know, growing up in my town, you didn't have aspirations to go to Hollywood. You had <laughs> aspirations to get enough money to support your family and work any job you can. So there was no, you know, I, I just didn't I didn't see an avenue as a child. I only saw what my parents had done, which was, you know, they took a step forward, 
they did the best they could to support us. And that was kind of my future. It was going to be probably somewhere in that small town in New Jersey. And so my passion, though, my kind of escape as a child, kind of getting away from the town I grew up in and some of the pressures of living there, was I would go to the movies. It was about a seven or eight mile ride to the movie theater. And I was about 10 years old, so probably not the safest thing to do as a kid. But I rode there a lot and I just spent, I would see everything. You know, I would go there four or five times a week. We used to use our newspaper back in the day. I'm an older guy. This was pre-internet. So we had to find our show times and then make sure that we had it all locked down and do some sneaking in to see everything. But I loved it. But then in terms of a career, you know, again, we just didn't think of it as that. It wasn't until college that I started to understand that there actually is a career writing movies. And then once I realized, I made it my goal. I made it my target and just did everything I had to to get there. How would you say things have changed? You know, you just went through your career trajectory and your thought process there. But like you said, things have changed. So for those writers coming up now who obviously have more resources, they have the internet, they have all these tools. How has that changed? How would you say that writers now, if you were to give them wisdom on breaking through, how these resources give them maybe an advantage to when you were coming up? Absolutely. You know, things have changed so much since back then. And now you have, like you said, you have all these resources to promote yourself. You have all these resources to create your own identity and create one for other people to see. You have avenues that you can share your, your scripts now that we didn't have that. There were no sites you could go to for feedback. There were no promoted contests, really, that you could enter. So now it's, it's kind of open season to be able to use the tools that you have to build you know, a brand for yourself, even if you're trying to break in. It's about establishing the fact that you are a writer, you are valuable, you have the potential to do this. And now you have ways to show the world what you're capable of. So I would say anything you do to take advantage of that, you know, try to do it. I would love to dive into process and use Mortal Kombat as an example. My first question usually starts with the inception of a film. In this case, did you write a Mortal Kombat script and then pitch that? Or was there a need that came about at the studio level and you were hired as a writer? I know there's some differences between how writers get their work. So for you, how did this come about? And at what point did you get involved? Yeah, so Mortal Kombat is a, is a title owned by Warner Brothers. And so they decided, you know, they'd been trying to develop a film out of it for, I would say, better part of a decade or so. And, and sometimes it just it does take that long. That's not an unusual amount of time to try to figure out what it's going to be and what it should be. And so they went through their normal process, their normal development process, which is they had, I think, uh, around three or four writers working on it over the course of, I want to say, yeah, about, about seven years before I came in. So I came into the project in 2016. And I am kind of what they call in Hollywood a lot of times, thankfully, I was the last writer in, you know, so I was able to come in. And then I worked on the movie really for about five years. I worked on it into production. And it was, it was an incredible experience. You know, I got to do everything on this movie, really from kind of soup to nuts. It was easily the best experience I've had as a professional screenwriter. You mentioned coming in and working on it soup to nuts. What was the next step? Once you I had the opportunity to work on this. But what stage was it at? Was it still in an outline phase? And what did it look like? How did you first get your hands on it, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, you come in and there's, there's already a script that has been written prior to me. And so they give you that. They let you read that. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But in this case, they said, here, take a look at the script. We know it's not working. And that's, that's kind of the, you know, that too, as the writer coming in. That's the reason you're there is because there's, they hit a, you know, a roadblock. 
they got to a certain point and they don't know where to go, or they just, the wheels are just, you know, they're just spinning. And so your job, one of your primary jobs as a writer, as a screenwriter, is you're often coming in to solve problems. That's what you are, really. I tell most young screenwriters that you're a problem solver. You have to get really good at that because you need to examine a pre-existing script and then you need to start breaking it down and, and figuring out why isn't this working. And then you need to come back to the studio and pitch solutions for it. So you don't just get a hand at the job. You know, you, you come in, they say, this isn't working. We think you could fix it, but tell us how you can fix it. And so I read the script and I very honestly came back and said, I think it's not working because of these reasons. And I think we can fix it with these solutions. And so I provided that to the studio and they liked what they heard. And they said, okay, we're going to give you a crack at it. Now, this was a really personal one for me because I absolutely loved the property. It was something that I grew up with, something that I, you know, I just, it was something that I wanted to write so badly. So I think a lot of times when you come to the table, you want to, if you have, you, first of all, you should always, I think, have a degree of passion for what that assignment is or what that property is because you can't fake passion. That's real. And you have to bring it to the table. You have to bring it to the room and they have to see it and you can't fake it. So I came in with passion for it and I said, here's what I want to do to fix this. And they said, okay, let's take a crack. You mentioned your passion for the brand. Mortal Kombat, before we get into your next steps that you took, I would love to discuss because obviously not only was it a video game, but it was also a film, I believe in 1995. As you approached this, how did those previous works influence how you approached, like you said, solving the problem of getting the script to a better place? Yeah. So, you know, this is a property that has now spanned almost 30 years. It's been about 17 or 18 games, including the main games and then the offshoots and spinoffs. As you said, a couple of films back in the 90s, the one in 95 was actually quite successful at the time and spawned a billboard topping soundtrack as well. So it's something that's, that people look back on with a lot of nostalgia and a lot of fondness. I do as well. You know, I grew up a gamer. I grew up, you know, when I wasn't at the movies, as I mentioned, I was probably at the arcades. Needless to say, I was trying to find places to escape. And the arcade was just a, it was some place that I just loved. It was, you know, for us 90s and early 90s kids, it was just a place where we could go and hang out and not be judged and have fun and just be ourselves. And so Mortal Kombat, especially Mortal Kombat 2, was the game that we all played when we went there. So for me, it had this very kind of personal place, you know, in my life. And I respect it. And when it came up as a, an opportunity to adapt, you know, I, again, I just, I wanted to take my experiences and I wanted to take that love that I felt for the property into the process of adapting it. So it was less, I'm going to look at these pre-existing things and use them as inspiration and more, I'm going to look at the experience that I had playing the games, being in the arcade, going to see that movie opening night as a 14-year-old and bring that love to it. Because I think that's more, that's more important almost is your personal experience. When you say bring that love of that, would you say that that's more of a knowledge of the world, the world building itself? Is it the characters? Is it everything that you're bringing that through looking through this new script and reworking it, the filter that you have, would you say that it's mostly world building, characters, everything? Yeah, it's everything. So, you know, I was able to walk in, you know, day one on this project as a fan of the games. I knew everything about them. I knew the mythology. I knew the characters. I knew the world. I was able to come in and speak it like a second language to them. And a lot of times, most of the time, that's extremely helpful. You know, these are very busy development executives at a very busy studio. They don't have time to go and play all of this, all of these games. They want people to come in and bring that passion and that knowledge to the table so that 
at the end of the day, we can create something that the fans are going to love because ultimately you're making a movie for you know a very large fan base and you want to give them, you want to satisfy them. And so the only way to do that is to get creators that are fans themselves to come in and say, you know, we love this. We're Mortal Kombat fans and it's made by the fans for the fans. And when the fans see that, I think that's really helpful and it builds trust. Is there a deep dive that you did before we had that conversation with the studio? Did you immerse yourself in the video games and the films again the week before and really cram and like really get that information fresh in your mind? No, <laughs> I didn't. And I think, again, I, I think that just speaks to the fact that I already kind of, I already knew it, you know? So I just trusted my instincts and trusted my love for it. And, you know, when you go in on something like that, when you pitch on something like that, you almost have to, while the passion is important and while the love for the source material is important, you also have to make sure that you're approaching these assignments as a screenwriter first. And so when I come in on a project like that, even though I love the source material deeply, I don't come in and just kind of gush about it and say, you know, Mortal Kombat's the best thing. I'm so good at the games. You know, that's not why I'm there. I'm there to fix the screenplay. So I come in as a screenwriter and I say, here is where we need to attack. Here's what's not working. Here are the solutions. And here's the game plan on how we're going to move forward. And by the way, I also love this and know this, you know, probably better than anybody you're going to talk to. You had mentioned when taking on the job, providing solutions and then getting hired to, you know, put those solutions into effect. What are the first steps that you take? What kind of deadline are you working on? Is it a week, a couple of weeks, a month? What does that first pass look like? You know, that's a good question. And it's different, I think, on every project, depending on what's already there, what they already have in place. Sometimes, you know, you come into a project and there are certain things that they like that they already kind of set up. And so you work within the parameters that are given to you. Sometimes I've come onto projects where they say, yeah, we developed this for five years, but we don't like any of it. We're not even going to show it to you. We're just going to throw it out. You start over and you bring us your vision. And so depending on what project it is, you know, your approach is going to be slightly different. But for the example of Mortal Kombat, that was something where there were a few kind of posts that the studio had put down that they liked and that I thought we could work with. So you know, I read the pre-existing script and I said, okay, there's some... I see the posts. I see how you know, I can begin to build a new blueprint around them. We don't have to throw everything out here. We can work with some of this. But ultimately, I have to come to it with my own creative vision. And so I will read the script, any pre-existing scripts, and then I'll put them away. And I usually don't go back to them. I then like to begin my own process of building out what I can kind of see as the roadmap for the world and for the characters. And in this case, you know, we kind of started over with the main character. And then I just kind of, I just kind of work from there. And then it's a, you know, it's a, it's a long process. You know, it, it doesn't, you talked about deadlines, you know, the deadline on that job and really on a lot of the jobs is get it right. You know, with few exceptions, I've almost all of the jobs I've worked on. It's less about, we need this by this point. It's more, we need this to be right. Take the time you need. And there's always the best experiences. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. 
Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned earlier, and I would love to get a little more granular, you talked about the roadblocks of the original scripts and the wheels not spinning and you finding solutions. Do you give an example of, or a couple of examples of some of the things that when you take on a script aren't working? What are those things that aren't working and how do you go about fixing them? Is it character-based? Is it, like you said, they can't find a way to just make the plot fit together or finish it. What are those things that you kind of were trying to fix and how did you fix them? Yeah. So, I mean, look, the easy answer there is sometimes it's everything. Sometimes it's the main character has no drive, has no, you know, doesn't arc. There's no substance to the main character's drive in the movie. Sometimes the plot is just, it's still, it doesn't, it doesn't move. With Mortal Kombat, when I came in, you know, one of the things was there was, we were going to be introducing a new protagonist into the world. And it existed in the script that I, I saw, but I felt like I felt like it didn't quite tie into the mythology. And with that specific example, that specific project as an example, one of the things I was focused on was making sure that that we did the mythology behind the games, that the lore, the characters, all of that, that we did that justice and that we respected it. And I felt, you know, I feel like through the process, through the years that I worked on it, it always kept coming back to that. You know, the script that I read, it didn't feel like Mortal Kombat to me. The characters were changed from their source material. There were plot points in it that were disrespectful, I think, for lack of a better word, to the mythology and the lore. And again, while you're fixing things like, you know, character drives and you're fixing, you know, the plot and you're changing it to make it feel more, to make it work, I was also on this specific project always saying, let's try to be as faithful as we can to the games. Let's try to, let's rein it in. Let's make sure we're being respectful of the source material as much as possible. So whenever I saw it through the process, whenever I saw the script kind of, or the story kind of going too far away from what made the game so great, or, you know, I felt like a character from the games was becoming too distant from what that character is, then I would always kind of raise my hand. And I'd say, let's, let's try to bring it back in. Let's try to make sure that we're being truthful to this game. So that was another big part of that project. As a writer who's working on rewriting or reworking the script with a studio, and you mentioned that this process went on for a while, at what point do you start to feel like, okay, this is getting close? Do you also get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't know if this is ever going to come out or you know, get frustrated in it? And at what point do you feel, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Absolutely. You know, I will say, look, I think those are honest screenwriter emotions that any writer will tell you that they feel probably on every project they work on. We go through a roller coaster of emotions, you know. I think the curiosity or the frustration about whether something will get made is just part of our DNA. 
as screenwriters, getting movies made is insanely difficult. It just, it doesn't, just doesn't happen. You know, to get anything made is a miracle nowadays. So, you know, you have to just believe in it. You have to stick with it. And there were definitely times on this project in the fourth year, probably I was working on it where, you know, I thought we were going and we got a note or we got a piece of feedback from someone at the studio and all of a sudden it looked like we're not going. And you have to prepare yourself for that and you have to keep believing in the work and you have to keep believing in, in the project and believing in yourself more than anything. Because nobody else in this project is picking you up. You have to pick yourself up and keep going. So yeah, there's rejection on you know, every project. There's heartbreak and then there's periods of wonderful you know, a brilliant high where I know all of a sudden that, oh my gosh, I think we're going to make this movie. And yeah, I, I remember it was 2019. It was early in 2019, spring of 2019, where all of a sudden it looked like we were going to get there. There was a big green light meeting where everybody at the studio, all the different heads of the studio come to this one giant meeting and the director is there and the producers are there and you are there as the writer. And you kind of sit down and actually, I guess I wasn't at the green light meeting, (laughs) but the director was there and he pitches his vision and he says, this is it. This is the movie. And everyone's there and they're talking about marketing and they're talking about the distribution. And based on how well that meeting goes, you have a good idea on whether or not you're going to get a green light. And I remember I helped the director work on his speech for that meeting, kind of do some proofreading for it. Again, as a screenwriter, you, you wear many hats. And then he came out of the meeting and he told me, he said, I think it went great. Everybody loved it. And I remember in that moment thinking, I think we're going to make this movie. Love that. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, these are unprecedented times, quarantine, all that. As a writer of a film during a period where film have not been coming out as much in the theater, I know obviously that's probably a distribution thing and it happens on the studio level. But from your knowledge, how did that strategy come about? Because obviously a lot of films are premiering online now. Yeah, I don't. So again, that is a uh, that was a studio decision. We didn't know that until after you know, well into post production, that that was going to be the strategy for it. Ultimately, I can speak to my thoughts on it. You know, I love the fact that people can go see this movie however they feel safest to do so. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I was a theater kid. I grew up going to the movies four or five times a week. It was my home away from home, and so to me, to be able to have written a film that brings an audience back to the movies in a time where most of them are struggling or closing or, you know, the little mom and pop shops are going out of business. It breaks my heart to see this. To be able to be one of those films that is coming out of this time period where movie theaters, I'm seeing them open up for us. You know, I'm seeing people are sending me, I get hundreds of messages on Twitter and things where people are just standing there with their tickets, you know, or they're standing in front of the poster at the movie theater or they're standing at the concession stand. You know, this is, we forget that this is a giant business that employs, you know, thousands of people. So to be a film that brings people back to the movies after so many of them have suffered a great hardship and then, you know, gets people back employed and people are sending me messages saying it's the first movie they've seen in 14 months. For me personally, I'm going to go opening night and it's going to be the first movie I've seen in 14 months in the movie theater. It's my own movie. It's a wild experience. I'm so thankful that we're in theaters at all. And that we're playing a role in that. And then for those that don't feel comfortable going to the theater, that audience should not be left out. You know, they should not feel isolated. So I love the fact that they can go and watch this on HBO Max the same day it comes out and hopefully have a good time. Hopefully just have some fun. 
that's the only thing I want out of this movie is that people can go and for two hours, turn their brain off and have a good time. Because we've all been through a really shitty, rough year and a half. So that's the biggest joy I can take away from this. Is there one thing about the film itself, whether it be part of the story or the character, without obviously spoiling anything, is there anything you're particularly excited about for those maybe Mortal Kombat fans who are going to go see it? Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much. And seeing some of the feedback and fans already coming out internationally, it opened internationally first. You know, it was just, just seeing the fact that they love that the fan service that was put into this, you know, and, you know, from the kind of impeccable character design to the characters pulling off the moves that, they, that people grew up doing, you know, pulling off in the arcade to the fatalities to the, the one liners, the catchphrase. It's loaded with fan service. You know, I don't know. We couldn't have put any more in. Honestly, we had two hours to tell the movie. There's so much in there. So if you are a fan, a true fan of Mortal Kombat, and you go see this, you know, it's just going to bring back so many memories. And I'm excited for people to relive some of that love and fondness and nostalgia that they grew up with, because I did as well. That's why it's there. Love that. I have a couple bonus questions I would love to. The first one being, you mentioned working on the script for Mortal Kombat and reworking it to get it to a better place, finding solutions. How does that affect your own work? Because I imagine as a screenwriter, you're not just working on scripts for work for other franchises and working for them. I imagine you're also working on your own scripts that you hope to pitch or get made. How does learning from these reworking other people's scripts help inform your own scripts? As a writer, I believe you're always, you're always learning. And I think that the moment you stop learning is the moment you should switch professions because we are not perfect creatures. We are evolving as we, as we continue to write. Every, I think every script you write, you get better. And I always tell you know, young writers who ask, you know, what's the secret to, to being a professional screener? And I always say, being a writer, write, go write, keep writing. You know, I, I tell people that I, I wrote probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen scripts before I ever sold one. So it takes a lot of time. And so when you work on a studio assignment, you know, I learn things on every job I work on and I get better on every job I work on. I've been doing this for over a decade now professionally, and I still have uh, ways to go. And I'm excited to go there. I'm excited to keep getting stronger and better. And, and as writers, you know, we empower each other. You know, there isn't, you know, I read other scripts. If there's a good screenplay I hear floating around. I'll try to get my hands on it and read it just so I can keep learning from other people in this craft. Because that's the only way we can get better is to keep pushing ourselves and keep expanding our reach. I always try to take away something from every job I work on that I can then use in my tool set to bring to the next job. That's the only way I think we can, we can keep growing. For those writers listening career-wise, what's your advice on going about writing your own work versus working on IPs for studios and getting paid for those while working on and pushing your own ideas. Do you have suggestions on how to find a healthy balance for that? And especially for new writers who are trying to get their foot in the door and figure out what path to take. Yeah. So again, what I always say is, you know, no one's going to kind of hand you these big IPs out of the gate. You have to prove yourself, right? You have to... And then the only way to prove yourself to the people that open the gates to these cool properties and things that you may want to adapt or work on is to show them that you have a unique voice and you have a unique point of view. And you do that through your own work. You do that through the stuff that you create for yourself. So I always say to anyone that is thinking about, well, what should I write that's going to help kind of open those gates or help you know, get people to consider me for the job? I say, don't chase what you think people want. Don't chase trends. Don't chase what you think is popular. But ultimately, write 
from your heart, write in your own voice and write the stories that are personal to you. That's what people are looking for. They're looking for unique voices. And so one thing that they'll always be looking for. So if you have a unique story to tell or a unique point of view or a unique experience, tap into that as much as possible. And that's going to be your calling card. Love that. A couple more questions. The next one, if you could choose one Mortal Kombat character to take to lunch, maybe a fast food restaurant, maybe not. Which character would you choose? Which restaurant? And what would you talk about? <laughs> okay. That's a really good one. Maybe I would take Sub-Zero to an ice cream shop. And yeah, we would get some cones. And I would just kind of ask him, you know, about his life and about how does he go about his daily life with these powers? Not fighting, not, not hunting anyone down, but just, you know, going grocery shopping. Does the ability to freeze things ever benefit him in a way that's, that has nothing to do with combat? You know, is it beneficial on a hot summer day? Is he able to pool he and his friends <laughs> on a hot summer day? I don't know. I'd make chit chat. He'd probably just freeze me and just walk away. We always ask the same question, but in regards to a writer, is there a writer that you would choose to take to lunch? And which restaurant would you take them to? Oh my gosh, that is a hard question. Wow, there are so many <laughs> that I would love to take to lunch. And what restaurant? Wow, that's a good question too. I'll say a writer that's currently working and has been working for a while, and one writer that really influenced me is Scott Frank. He's a writer that I you know, just absolutely adore. If you've seen the recent Queen's Gambit, you know why he is as talented as he is. I would just take him to wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> I would pay for it. and. I would just try to pick his brain on his process. I would do this interview <laughs> with him and try to you know, gain anything I can because I think he's, a, I think he's a, a genius. If you were doing this interview with him, obviously we work through process. Is there one question I didn't ask that you would ask him? Yeah, okay. That's a, wow, that's a really good question too. I would probably not ask him about his favorite Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> <laughs> probably better use my time. I would say I would ask him something along the lines of, in your career, in your vast, awesome career, in the moments when you felt like you didn't want to do this anymore, how did you keep going? Those are the questions that I always, I always like to ask. I always like to ask people, you know, where did you dig down? You know, how did you find your inspiration to keep doing this? Because every writer knows that there have been those moments and those feelings where they felt like they just didn't want to keep doing this, you know, or they just they couldn't keep going. So how did you keep going? You know, how did you find moments in those low moments to keep going? Funny because my next question was in your career, in the moments where you felt <laughs> we used to do this more. I knew you were going to do that. We used to do this more on the podcast, and I haven't done it in a while. In your career, in the moments where you felt like you didn't want to do this anymore, how did you keep going? Yeah. Wow. I knew you were going to do that, and I should have prepped an answer for it. <laughs> and you don't have to answer it. Obviously, it's an on the spot kind of match, question. The chess match we play. <laughs> Queen's Gambit. No, uh, but uh, you know, I. I would go back and remind myself of why I wanted to do this in the first place, what I loved about it. And I would just try to focus on that love and that passion and, and realize that I can only control myself. I can only control what I produce. And then I can't control what people think. And I can't control if people hire me or reject me. I can only control what I think of myself every day when I sit down at the computer to write again. And it's about believing yourself as much as humanly possible. I know that sounds cliche. I know it sounds like a greeting card, but ultimately it really is that. You control your fate and you control how you, you control ultimately your success or not. And a lot of that just comes from believing yourself. Love that. You mentioned earlier to those writers listening, your advice is usually, you know, keep writing, 
Our last question is always, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers listening, what would you say? Would you say that it's keep writing? What is the one thing you would choose? Yeah, I would say this is for newer writers or writers wanting to do this. Yeah, usually. Yeah. Or it could Uh, be anyone. Yeah, I would just say, you know, when I moved to Hollywood and I wanted to be a screenwriter and there was, you know, a few years there where I just, you know, you always doubt, you always question yourself. Is this really an attainable goal? Can I actually get where I want to get to? I would just, you know, every day, just every night, actually, maybe this is cheesy, I don't know, but it worked for me. I would just kind of envision myself doing it every night. And, and next day I would get up and I'd go to work and I'd just keep slugging away at it. But it was, I think it was, my piece of advice would be to picture yourself doing it and then go and attain that goal. Love that. My last question, the most important one is, did you have fun today talking? I had a blast talking about Mortal Kombat and writing with you. Did you have fun? I love it. I love talking about writing. You know, I could talk about love that it. all day. I get asked a lot of interviews about, you know, Mortal Kombat and the games and all that, but very few really want to talk craft. So this has been an absolute treat for me. Thank you so much. Thank you again, man. It's been a lot of fun. And Mortal Kombat premiered on Friday, 23rd, and it is out now. So if you're listening, please check it out. Greg, anything you want to shout out? Maybe the movie, maybe your social media, anything at all? Yeah, look, if you want to hop over to Twitter, I'm at Ryder Russo, W-R-I-T-E-R-R-U-S-S-O. And I want to thank you guys and plug this podcast because we need more stuff like this out there for writers to go listen to and, and hear from other writers and learn from them. So thank you guys for doing what you do. Thank you, Greg. That really means a lot. Thank you again for your insights and your time. It was an honor. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks again. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.